examples of being a deacon as being one who's willing to serve even when their pastor tests them in their service. And uh, Nathan has served well um, these last few weeks and thankful for that brother and for his wife singing because way better than me. Amen. On April 11th, 1970, Jim Lovell, Jack Swagger, and Fred Hayes were strapped to a Saturn V rocket and propelled into space thousands of miles away from Earth. Apollo 13's mission was to go to the Fremora Highlands there, a crater on the surface of the moon, and there do some survey. Many of you might remember that day and those memorable words that Lovell spoke when their spaceship exploded, made memorable in the movies. And you'll remember Lovell's words when the explosion rung, Houston, we have a problem problem they had, right? They're thousands of miles away from home on a rocket ship flying at thousands of miles an hour and they are unsure how they're going to get home. And friends, those words are so memorable, right? Houston, we have a problem. We, we, we use them in various ways, right? Funny ways. You hear them all the time. You, that, that phrase. And Lovell, I'm sure, didn't say that because he wanted to be famous. He just wanted to get home. Friends, as we consider those words, Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem. A very big problem. A problem greater than a rocket flying aimlessly in the universe. Our problem is greater. What is that problem? What is our problem? Not their problem, but our problem? Well, friends, our problem, too, could kill us. In fact, I I think it has been killing us. What is that problem? What is our problem? Friend, our problem is our lack of making disciples our lack of making disciples. We know the words. We've maybe perhaps even committed them to memory. Go make disciples. But oh, how often I myself neglect such a lofty command. Friends, over the next three weeks, we're going to think about discipling. We're going to think about what does it mean, Jesus' command to make disciples. What does that mean? So our thought is going to be kind of narrowed while often you hear the great conviction in connection with, you know, missions and, you know, the IMB, North American Mission, where you're going to go to the nations. Friends, this passage has to begin with us. We have no hope of making disciples of the nations if we're unwilling to make disciples right here. Of the people sitting around you this morning. So that's what we want to think about today. Making disciples. I hope to convince you that it is a problem. That it's okay. God's grace is sufficient. And he will give us the strength to endure. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. 
Matthew chapter 28. I invite you to grab that pew Bible in front of you. Open it to page 835. Friends, you will be terribly bored if you do not have the Bible open in front of you. So I just invite you to open the Bible, look with it. If you're not used to looking at God's Word, the big number is the chapter number, and those smaller numbers are the verse numbers. So on page 835, big number 28, down at the bottom, verse 16. For many of us, these are familiar words, but let us hear them again from our Savior. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is Jesus' point? What what is the point of this passage? You could summarize it this way. The authority of Jesus Christ over the nations and the abiding presence of Jesus Christ among his people provides the basis for our disciple-making among the nations. This morning, we want to consider just sort of some basic definitions, right? So we throw words around a lot, discipleship, disciple-making, uh, making, what, what does all this mean? Evangelism. You want to kind of get some meat on the bones a bit. You want to think about these definitions, what they mean. What does it mean to make disciples? And then we're going to spend the bulk of our time considering why. Why do we make disciples? Why is it that we go? What is the basis of our disciple-making? Then, after that, the next, the following two Sundays, what we'll consider then is where we make disciples, and then thirdly, how we make disciples. So, really kind of thinking about it in the sort of four questions over the next three weeks, what is disciple making? What is discipling? Why do we disciple? Where do we do? Where do we do this at? Where, where, where's the context that this occurs in? And then finally, consider how give you some really how-to, you know, this is what it looks like in your life. You can implement it in your life tomorrow or today. That's what we want to do over the next couple weeks. Think about, in a more intentional way, about disciple-making. Making disciples for God's glory. So what is discipling? Let's begin just sort of by clearing up some confusion about language. Uh, clearing up, if you will, some of the definitions we use. So let's begin with the word evangelism. Evangelism. We you might have heard that word before. You might, you know, we evangelize. We, you know, we're gonna go to evangelism training, or you know, we're gonna have evangelism night. What is evangelism? Well, evangelism is this: it is the deliberate sharing of the gospel, that is, the good news of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. That good news, the the gospel of Jesus Christ, with those who have not heard it. So evangelism is is merely sharing the gospel with those who've never heard the gospel before. I heard many years ago a pastor say, you know, oh man, you know, there's all, you know, everyone here in America, they've heard the gospel. Like, what? What? Right? And we don't want to assume just because people live in in America that they know the gospel. Right? So we don't want to assume the gospel. We don't want to assume people know 
Now the goal or the aim of, of evangelism is conversion. That is, uh, people repenting of their sins and trusting in Christ. Right? And so conversion is that sort of starting point of discipleship. That's where we begin. That's where discipleship begins. It begins with evangelism. Now, one of the things we must not confuse is evangelism with discipleship. And we'll talk about what discipleship is here in just two seconds. But what we can't confuse, evangelism is not discipleship. And discipleship isn't evangelism. Okay, Those are two separate things. We often conclude that by making disciples, that is, means we merely share the message, right? So we often think disciple-making, that means just going out and telling people about Jesus. That's making disciples. That's what Jesus is commanding here. He says, go make disciples. Okay? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, go to the nations and tell them about me. That's part of what Jesus is saying. Evangelism is the front door to discipleship. It is not the house. So, a disciple then, what does it mean to be a disciple? So, evangelism. Now, let's think about what is a disciple. Simply, disciple means follower. So, you can be a disciple of a lot of things. You could be a disciple of basketball. You're a follower of basketball. You're you're a disciple of of whatever. Anything, right? Uh, Simply put, though, in the Bible, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. It's someone who has repented of their sins and trusted in Christ. That's what a disciple is. It's someone who is following Jesus. So this morning, if you consider yourself a disciple, but you've never repented of your sins, you've never trusted in Christ, well, friend, you're not a disciple of Jesus. You may be a disciple of someone or someone, but you're not a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is one who seeks by his grace to faithfully follow their Savior. That's what a disciple is. So what is discipleship then? What, what, is it, what does that mean? Like, is it like a disciple on a ship? Like you know, he's, he's on a ship and he's going somewhere? What is discipleship? Well, discipleship is the process of you faithfully following Jesus. So discipleship isn't a class you go to. All right? It ain't Sunday school. Discipleship isn't training union. It isn't small group. Right? Now, discipleship may occur there. You may be following Jesus in those moments. But, but in the end, discipleship happens every day of your life. In every aspect of your life, from, from morning to evening, it is your faithfully following of Jesus in every aspect of your life, from your thoughts to your actions. Discipleship is you following Jesus. Disciple is a follower. Discipleship is following Jesus. So what about discipling. What is discipling? Well, discipling is a subset of our discipleship. Let's get those clear in our minds. Make sure we're tracking here, right? We don't want to confuse the two. Discipling, that is a verb, it's a, you're doing something, right? It's not the same thing as discipleship. That is, you're faithfully following Jesus. It's a part. Discipling is a part of you following Jesus. It's a part. It isn't the only thing you do, but friend, it is going to be the primary thing you're going to do. What I mean is is that if you're not discipling, if you're not deliberately helping others to faithfully follow Jesus in their life, I hope to show you this morning that you're not following Jesus either. 
say it this way. Nowhere in the New Testament would one take the name disciple if they were not helping others follow Jesus. To be a disciple means you are deliberately helping others follow Jesus. And perhaps this morning you're like, whoa, I did not know that was a responsibility. I did not know I was supposed to be doing that. Good news for you this morning. There's grace. Grace. So if you've never discipled someone, as we think about this over the next three weeks, if you've never been actively, deliberately helping others follow Jesus, there's grace. There's forgiveness in Christ. You can, we can repent of that. We can say, Lord, I have, I have disobeyed you, but I want to be faithful to follow you. Friends, this is really what the New Testament teaches. I mean, you can't go to any of Paul's letters and not see that this is what it means to faithfully follow Jesus. Paul regularly says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, we get like creeped out by that. I don't know why. We're like, oh, people shouldn't be following me. People should be following Jesus. Well, I don't know, but Paul thought it would be wise and it was inspired by the Spirit of God to say that. That is, by you faithfully following Jesus in your life, there should be people behind you and people behind them. Can I just say this to us? You know, in America, we are so consumed with leaving a legacy. Right? We are so often consumed by our wealth and about, you know, what, what am I going to leave? And my prayer is that I see like three or four generations down the road who are impacted because I'm faithfully following Jesus. That's going to mean something so better than, than you, you know, having a, a lot of junk at your home that your kids are going to have to deal with when you die. Give them the gospel. And so the invitation to follow is evangelism. Your following Jesus is discipleship. You're modeling that for others and helping them do that is discipling. Evangelism. Following Jesus and inviting others to follow Jesus with you. Like an apprentice, right? We, we see this clearly in the trades, like it, 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 across the board, right? If you're going to learn a job, right, they don't just like plop you down and say, go run wires in the building or go plumb something or, or go, you know, be the secretary and type letters up and stuff. They don't do that. Right? Go be a doctor. Have fun. Figure it out as you go along. No. Maybe perhaps they do, but no, right? They spend time intentionally, hands-on, showing you, like, this is what a heart looks like. This is what it looks like when you open someone up and there's a heart inside of there. And so it is with following Jesus. Followers of Jesus, we don't just plot people down in pews and, like, say, hey, figure it out on your own. But then the sad reality is, probably your story that's probably your story someone invited you to church someone told you about the gospel someone said listen this is what it means to follow jesus have fun see you later and we're left to kind of figure it out on our own so discipling looks different 
many different people. So a mom and a dad, you know, sitting around the table, telling their children about Jesus and, and showing them and modeling them repentance and faith. That's discipling. Uh, an older lady inviting a younger woman into her home and showing her how to follow Jesus. Showing her how to love her husband when he's unlovable. Right? Like, I know that guy. I got one at home, right? Let me show you how to faithfully follow Jesus when your husband doesn't love you anymore or when he leaves you. Or a co-worker sharing the gospel and then helping them follow Jesus. A grandparent speaking in the life of their grandchildren and saying, listen, yeah, your parents are bums, but listen, there's still hope for you. Let me show you how to follow Jesus. And you model that in your life. You show them what it looks like in their life. Or a neighbor inviting them to church saying, listen, I'm not perfect. I screw up a lot. You see me. You see that. But listen, I want you to show, I want to show you what it means to follow Jesus. I want you to see what it looks like. It's hard. It, it, oftentimes it sucks and I just want to quit. But you know what? Following Jesus is going to be amazing. So will you follow me? Friends, it is deliberately doing someone else your good. Deliberately doing. It's not something you just kind of wake up and fall into. It's something you're going to wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to do this today. I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to invite others to follow with me. Friends, the sad reality is most of us do not disciple because no one ever disciples us. We don't know how. We don't know how. We don't know how to follow Jesus. We don't know how to disciple others because no one helped us. We kind of just were left to fend for ourselves. My hope and prayer is that we straighten that out now. That we hold a Titus 2 model in this church among brothers and sisters where older men are training up younger men and older women are training up younger women. We're, we're in each other's lives. Like so much like, get away from me, I need my space. That's how much we need to be in each other's lives. And passing through hallways on Sunday mornings or rubbing shoulders in pews is not discipling. Again, the primary context where discipling is going to happen is going to be here. In fact, right now you're being discipled. Right now you're being discipled. And what we do here is supposed to model in what we do the rest of our lives. Well, let's be honest. You know, if, if a brother or sister is struggling with sin, they're not going to chit-chat next to the person next to them. It's like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about leaving my husband. You know, it's just really bad. And, and so right, we're not going to do that here. That'd be weird. Don't do that. Okay? Maybe you need to do that. I don't know. Okay? We understand that it happens within the context of an intimate relationship where we're deliberately helping others follow Jesus. Now, that's just an overview of what we're going to think about the next three weeks. Now I want to get into the why. Why do we disciple? What, what is it that Jesus says here that is the basis of our disciple making? Why should you make disciples? We're going to consider three reasons why. Three reasons why. I want you to consider for a moment the context of the passage. Who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to the 11 disciples at post-resurrection. It's been about 40 days or so. Jesus has been ministering to his disciples. He's been doing some stuff. And he says to his disciples, listen, I want you to meet me out on this mountain, and we're going to have some instruction out there. We're going to talk about a few things. I'm going to give you a mission. I'm going to give you a task. 
a task that is going to remain unfinished until I return, a task that I want you to be about. This is the mission statement. Churches often come up with clever mission statements. I don't know why. It's clear right here what they're supposed to be doing. I don't know how many different ways you can spin that. Uh, make disciples, right? Make disciples. That's, that's the mission that, that Christ has given to his church, right? And so these 11 guys, these, this, these fishermen and businessmen, these you know, kind of nobodies, kind of we've considered a Mark's gospel. I don't need to rehash how they're kind of bums, right? They're not the greatest, smartest group of people in the world, right? I mean, consider Peter himself, right? He denied the Lord just a matter of days before this. But it's them that Jesus gives this mission. He says that through you, these 11 men, these 11 men, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you, and I'm going to give you this mission. And friend, I want you to know today that you are here. If you are a, a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's because those 11 men obeyed that word. It's the only reason. It's because like, it caught up like fire. It was like a wildfire. It could not be stopped, right? You know, like Rome tried to stop it. They tried to like kill all the Christians. Friends, you can never kill out all the Christians. Right? So terrorists over in Egypt want to blow up Christians. They want to just annihilate them. Friends, you just can't do it. The church gets to be part of those. It's glorious and beautiful. So three reasons why. First, we believe in the authority of Jesus Christ over the universe. Look with me at verse 18. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, make disciples. Our disciple-making flows out of the authority of Jesus over the nations. That is to say, if Jesus does not have authority, then disciple-making cannot happen. But because Jesus has authority, because this world is ruled by Christ, we can make disciples of the nations. We see here that Jesus' authority is a universal sovereignty. Jesus isn't sovereign just over the United States, over, you know, a Christianized kind of nation. Jesus is sovereign over all the nations, regardless if on their constitution or on their, you know, placards in their buildings, it says, in God we trust. It don't matter what they think. Jesus is sovereign over the nations. And what we hear in Jesus' words here is a fulfillment of Daniel 14. Daniel 7, 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Listen. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's what Jesus is saying here in, in, in short words. And our disciple-making is a display of that reality. How does Jesus get rebels that want to destroy his kingdom? And rather than seek to destroy his kingdom, they slowly but surely become a part of his kingdom. So that in the end, every tribe, tongue, and nation will be declared faithful. Jesus' authority is universal. He has authority over nature and nations. He has authority over disease and demons. Just days before Jesus spoke these words, he died on the cross as a display of what? Of his authority over sin. 
he rose from the grave is a, a display of that authority that he has. But his authority extends even to our lives together. You know, we often, sadly, uh, think that Jesus' lordship over our life is something that we've voluntarily entered into. But the reality is, what Jesus is saying here, I'm in charge regardless if you want to submit to that or not. I am sovereign over the nations. Regardless if those nations want to obey me. He is sovereign over every life. And like a tree blooming, so the nations know Christ. Therefore, as we consider Jesus Christ's universal sovereignty over all things, it really offers us two motives to go to the mission field. It gives us motive as we you know, kind of open our door and share the gospel with our neighbor. Jesus' authority compels us to go. It compels us to go. His worth is the fuel of our mission. We want Jesus' name to be known. Right? We, don't, we don't just come in here and sing lift high the name of Jesus because it makes us feel good. You know, oh, Jesus, I love Jesus. No, no, we want others to love Jesus. We, want, we know what it's like to, to experience the love of God in Christ, and we want others to have that. So it fuels us. It, we want them to know those things. Friends, we often consider rules as a bad thing, right? We often consider, like, you know, God is keeping us from the good life, right? So we read the Bible often that way. We read, like, all these, like, you know, do this, don't do that kind of stuff. And we're like, oh, man, Jesus is like a joker. He doesn't want us having fun. But the reality is, is that we know those commandments are there to keep us safe. Because God knows those aren't good. They may look good. It may look appealing. And so we want our friends and families to know that same thing. We want them to come under the lordship of Christ. John, John Piper once famously said, missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. His worship is the goal of our mission. That's the goal of our mission. We are out in the mission field, and that field is right here before our eyes. We are there because we want to see more worshipers. We want to see more people lifting the name of Christ. We go and make disciples so that Jesus might be worshipped. But not only does Jesus' authority compel us to go, Jesus' authority also gives us confidence as we go. Not only are we compelled to go, but also we have the confidence to go. We're not, we're not afraid to go. Sadly, in many of our in our tribe, our denomination, or even in evangelicalism, we've often wrongly been told that evangelism is trying to sell people on Jesus. Trying to win people to Jesus. And the reality is, is that you won't ever be able to sell a dead man anything. What a sad and paltry picture of Jesus Christ's sovereign authority. We should be winsome. Yes, shouldn't be fools out there. We should be winsome in our presentation of the gospel, but we understand that, that God's sovereignty is at work to convert sinners. God is at the work that alivens and wakens the heart. Friends, we can trust that. 
We can have confidence that when we share the gospel, God will do with that word what he desires. Friend, I'm not a very good salesman. I've never been a good salesman. I tried it. It's hard. I've got a salesman right here up in the front row. He's pretty good at it. I'm not good at sales. And I can have confidence to know that I don't have to sell anybody with Jesus. I just have to offer that free gift of salvation and trust that Christ's word will not return void, that it will bring about its desires in. Therefore, we make disciples because Jesus is universally sovereign over the nations. But another basis, sort of a second basis, which was really just implicit in this passage, so you might have glossed over it a bit, but, but we obey Jesus as a basis of our discipling. That is, we make disciples because... We're obedient to Jesus, right? So these are commands, right? So look at verse 19. Jesus is commanding something, right? He says he wants you to go do something. We're going to think more about what that is in the the weeks ahead. But he says, make disciples. That's the main command of this passage. The the main command is not go. Um, The main command is make disciples. And go, go is a command. But the main command, the main thing he wants you to do is not to go, but to make disciples. And so we do this out of obedience to Christ, right? We make disciples because we love him. As John 14, 15 tells us, if you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. Right? Making disciples, obeying this is an expression of our love for Christ. We make disciples because we love Jesus. But not only does it demonstrate our love for Jesus, but it also demonstrates our love for others. I mean, if you know the way to eternal life, you know it, you believe it, but you refuse to tell anybody else about it, you don't love them. Moms, dads, grandparents, you say you love your children. You say you love your grandchildren. When's the last time you sat down and says, listen, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about my Savior. We love others best by helping them to follow Jesus down the pathway of life. And it is unloving for us not to make disciples. When you're unwilling to disciple, you are saying that you do not love those individuals. Discipling is obedience to that love command. To love others means to share the gospel with them and help them faithfully follow Christ. Friends, again, sadly, so many of us don't obey this command. We come up with so many good excuses, don't we? I mean, we're like the excuse experts, right? We don't have time. Busy, got a lot going on in my life. Maybe you need to change your schedule. Like, you are in charge of your schedule, right? Like, no one imposes that on you. And if they do, maybe you need to get a new job. The question is, isn't whether we have time. I mean, like, everyone has the same amount of time in the week. Every single one in this room has exactly the same seconds in the week. No one has more time than anyone else. It's a great equalizer, isn't it? Right? The billionaire, right, has the same amount of time as the guy working down at Walmart. Right? It's just a matter of how do you use your time? How do you leverage that time? And friend, as you consider time, we understand that time has an expiration date. 
increased our time. How are you using that time to make disciples? I don't have the energy. That's a lot of work. I, I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. Look, friends, I'll tell you this. I'm, a, I'm, an in, I'm introverted. I, I'm not an extreme extrovert. Um, if I'm around a lot of extroverts, like church, for example, you tell, my wife will tell you, like, when I leave this place, I'm like, I'm on, I'm on P, like empty, dead, drained. Why? Because people, like, suck it out of me. Like, you know, it's like gone. And uh, if I have, like, a lunch, like, I tell, tell my wife, like, I got to watch my schedule. So, like, if I have a lunch with somebody, I'm, like, done. Put me to bed after lunch. And the reason is, isn't because I'm, like, filling up. It's because, like, this takes the energy from me. Just, like, but an extrovert, they, like, they, don't, they don't drain from that. They, like, get filled up with that stuff. They're like, whoo, I'm ready to go. I'm excited. I want to keep going. But, friend, is that energy your excuse? it's experience. Never done it. What it looks like. Maybe it's talent. Man, I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I don't know what to say. How am I going to, I mean, have you seen my life? You see what I do? Exactly. You see, we, we, we shy away from discipling because we're afraid people are going to see how we live. You see, that's the point. It's a two-way street. Not only does it keep you accountable, but it also demonstrates that you are a sinful human being. We're not perfect. And that repentance of, you know, you, you know, spouting off at your kids and screaming at them like a maniac. I do that. And then I repent of that. And that public repentance is discipling them, their little hearts, to know what it means to repent of your sins when you go crazy. So that they'll model that in their own life. Or maybe you just don't think it's your responsibility. Maybe you think, like, this command is only for certain folks. I often hear in churches, sadly, man, we need some young people. We need young people. All right, we need young people. What are we going to do to get young people? We'll hire a youth pastor. Let's, get, let's go hire a, a children's minister. They'll get them young people here. What? No. How about you go reach out to those teenagers running around your street that you get tired of messing up your manicured lawn? How about you go and share the gospel with those children playing basketball down the street? Brothers and sisters, this, discipling isn't something that you hire professionals to do. You don't like hire a bunch of pastors to do discipling. Right? That, that, we're not, that's not our job. Like Our job, like Ephesians makes it so clear. Christ Jesus gave pastor teachers to do what? Equip the saints for work of ministry. It's your responsibility, not mine. My responsibility is to equip you to go out and do it, and that's what we're doing right now. Let's keep moving. Third basis for our disciple making is our dependence on the abiding presence of Jesus among his people. Do you hear that promise? We like, I think sometimes we chop that off, that ending off of that. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, and behold, I'm with you in this. I'm not going to leave you in this. This isn't something I'm sending you off to do without any communication, without any supplies, without any equipment. No, he's like, I'm going with you. I'm just telling you what we're going to be doing. Like, 
we're going on a trip and I'm going with you. I'm not going to leave you. Oh, how wrongly we often think that disciple making, that making disciples is something that Jesus has us out here doing on a lone island by ourselves. No, we understand that the dependence of, of our abide, the abiding presence of Christ, we are depending. I'm with you, he says. I mean, think about it. The, the disciples have just been given 11 dudes, right? Have just been given the command from the eternal God. I want you to make disciples not of the folks here in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and in Judea. I want you to make disciples of the nations. Like, you've never been outside of this area. Like, I don't know. What, hey, guys, what is he talking about? The nations. What is that? What, where are we going? I've never been there. I don't know what those people look like. I don't know what they think. You know, they didn't make kill us. No, Jesus is saying to them, you are going to the nations because I am going to be with you. Jesus reminds us that the mission does not depend on us. What a reassurance it is that your disciple making is not dependent on you, but on me. Friends, we are the means God has chosen to bring about his eternal purposes. That end is sure. Like what, what our brother Charlie read there, Revelation, what he read there in Revelation, right? That was you standing there, worshiping before the throne. The ends are determined. It's already finished. We are the means. God says, I'm going I'm to make my glory known among the nations, among broken, messed up people with his glory. I'm going to use you. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, right? The gospel is foolish, and we are foolish. He, he, you ever think about that, what he's saying? Like, he doesn't save the wise and the intelligent and the, and the noble. He saves the simple. He saves the foolish. Friends, you can be comforted this morning that you're among foolish people. The world looks in on us as foolish. So the mission depends solely on Jesus. We depend on him and him alone. He's the one that gives us strength. And he gives us the strength through his spirit. His spirit is the one that enables us to continue in the mission. That, that feeling you have, like, I'm ready to go make disciples. That's the spirit of God in Christ compelling us and going. This was Paul's confidence. He was in a foreign land. Things were not going well. People wanted to kill him. And then came word from the Lord in Acts 18. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Don't worry. This city that I'm calling out of darkness into light through you. I'm going to use you. And we're going to think about that in a few weeks, about how there are people in your life that, that I don't have the reach into. I can't touch the people in your life, but you can. And how has God sovereignly placed you in their lives for the sake of sharing the gospel with them? So Jesus is inviting us to experience the power of God. 
you know, so often I hear among Christians, like, I want to experience God's power in my life. I want to experience the Spirit in my life. That's, I want that. Friends, what Jesus is saying is this. You will experience the power of God in your life. You will experience the abiding presence of Jesus as you are making disciples. You see, there is something exhilarating about seeing someone come to faith in Christ. It is amazing. It's wonderful to see them mature and grow up. Like children, right? When you watch children grow and they get smart and they learn things, like they, they wow you with their, their knowledge. You're like, man, like I, I, I helped create that. Like I'm a dummy and they're like really smart. And like, oh my, it's amazing. Friends, we get to experience that same thing when we help others follow Christ. It's exhilarating because it's the abiding presence of Jesus Christ in our life. We make disciples because Jesus is sovereign over all. We're not afraid in our mission. We're not scared. Christ Jesus is with us. Many of you are familiar with Peter's struggle. We talked about it earlier. He struggled in many ways unlike us, but in many ways like us. He struggled in his faith. He he had a weak faith. We know that familiar story. We looked at it a few months ago where where Peter is there and the you know, they're looking on as Jesus is being tried. Afraid. Little girl comes up, little servant girl. We don't think she was, but Jesus. Hmm? He's there afraid of her, scared of her. You know, three times Jesus, Peter denies Jesus there out of fear, out of fear that, that he might too meet the same fate. He looked onto his master being wrongly convicted, being beaten and spit upon. He denied that he knew him. That same Peter would face those same men not months later, those exact same men that he cowered in fear, he would stare down and he would declare that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the one whom they should trust in. What changed? Will the abiding spirit in Peter? But because he trusted this one. He trusted that Jesus was sovereign over the nations, over that council, and over everyone that he would face. He depended on the abiding presence through the Spirit. Friend, I just wonder this morning, what is keeping you from faithfully following Jesus? By making disciples. given us what seems to be an impossible mission. To share the gospel with people whom we do not share a culture with, whom we do not share a language with. It seems impossible to us because we're not the kind of people that like to, you know, to talk to other people. We're afraid. We're scared. What, what am I going to say? How, how, how am I going to help someone else follow Jesus when, when I'm not being faithful? 
what I pray that that we would see the grace of Christ in us. There's still tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. We can repent of this kind of thing and we can we can get the ship turned around. We're not going to die. Christ is with us. He is calling us to endure. Father, we pray that you by your spirit would give us strength to obey this commandment. That we wouldn't be afraid of it anymore. That we would embrace it and obey it. For your glory and our eternal good. We're going to conclude this morning by singing a final hymn.